Hi everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of HubSpot RevUp, our bi-weekly webinar series that explores the levers to driving top-line growth for businesses today and how HubSpot can support this. I'm your host, Rob White, and I'm the marketing manager here at Axon Garside. Today, I'm joined by usual guest on the podcast, Managing Director Ian Garver, and Commercial Director here at Axon Garside, Jack Williams. We'll be discussing the key reasons to pivot to a D2C strategy, or selling to your end consumers to some of you, and the challenges you may face shifting to this strategy. Alongside that, we'll talk about some use cases we have found whilst doing work and implementing this for clients. Jack, if you don't mind introducing yourself to the audience, give a bit of background on yourself. Yeah, sure. So uh, thanks very much. I'm a, a commercial director of Axon Garsight, like Rob has already said. Um, I've been with the business for coming, to, coming up to eight years now. Um, my role in Axon Garside has evolved, and excuse the pun, but I'm a little bit of a jack of all trades. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the main um, uh, responsibility in my role is to bring in on new customers and consulting with organizations on how they can get the most out of our services and also HubSpot. Um, but prior to us bringing our technology team in-house, I was always also responsible for implementing HubSpot CRM um, and uh, sales processes for, for organizations of varying sizes across varying industries. Um, brilliant. So today, as you guys have sort of signed up and seen, um, we'll be discussing the key reasons for businesses we talk about in because we work with a lot of manufacturing industrial businesses, um, the reasons to pivot to a DTC strategy or um, uh, selling to your end consumer, um, the challenges you might have shifting towards this and how you can overcome those and thrive going into 2024. Um, but before we jump in and discuss all the sort of key topic areas today, um, I just wanted to explain a little bit about Action Garside, as always, if it's your first time listening, first time joining us today, um, and a little bit about how this webinar will work. So to introduce ourselves, um, we work out of Manchester. We work exclusively um, with B2B businesses, helping them make the most out of HubSpot through our three key service areas. Tech, which helps mold your business processes around your HubSpot instance. Um, websites, so HubSpot CMS builds, which help you create a website, which both is good to look at. But alongside that as well is also a converting machine and inbound marketing, which helps get your product in front of the right people and selling to your target audience. The way this webinar will work, we'll be talking a wee bit about, we've got a bit of an agenda set up um, to talk about D2C and how manufacturing business can pivot towards that strategy. Um, obviously, we're live on LinkedIn. So if you have any questions, feel free to drop it in the comments and then we can get it up on screen and answer any queries you have towards the end. So without further ado, let's get started. Now, the reason we're talking about D2C today, you know, we have a lot of sales conversations, especially with manufacturing industrial companies about things like e-commerce and moving towards that strategy. Is it profitable enough? Is it um, more profitable for them to move towards a strategy? Um, you know, some of the stats that come out, we've seen that 96 billion is the amount of revenue and the UK manufacturing sector generated through D2C sales. And that's obviously meant to scale um, going forward. So, but before we get into the nitty gritty, um, Jack, for people that aren't aware, what do we mean by shifting to a D2C model um, and selling to the end or selling to the end consumer? Yeah, sure. Well, traditionally, um, a lot of manufacturing organisations, um, specifically ones that we've been working with, um, sell through a supply chain. So they'll work with a series of maybe uh, distributors, um, specifiers, wholesalers, installers. Um, in some instances, if you take the building material sector, they might sell to people like architects that then specify their products um, into, into building contractors and so on. And 
D2C is basically the process of pivoting towards actually selling to the end consumer. And the end consumer could be um, in a B2C sense, somebody like you or I that buy products from people like, uh, um, I don't know, P&G, let's say, because we have soaps in our houses, et cetera, that we otherwise get through from Tesco or other people. Um, but I think a lot of B2B manufacturing companies are also cotton onto this idea of selling direct to the, to the consumer. And one such um, uh, example that comes to mind is, um, uh, in fact, a company that we've been working with relatively recently who sell uh, renewable energy products who were typically selling um, to wholesalers um, and creating pull through their supply chain by trying to influence and market uh, to installers, um, but are now instead actually trying to market and sell directly to the homeowner and trying to create pull through that supply chain um, um, by going direct to the consumer themselves. Yeah, and I think it's important before we sort of dive into this, it, you know, we're not just wholly talk about e-commerce solutions. You know, we were speaking a bit about this, I think the other day, I think Tuesday we were speaking about it. Um, you know, it can, we can differ. It can either be selling straight off through, through a website, so straight through an e-commerce solution, right? but you can also be selling direct off the page for the consumer. And I think that's, that's an important, um, differentiation between the two, which I think we'll bring up at this stage before we dive into this, um, everything going on with this in mind, then, you know, we've explained a little bit there about what DTC selling is. Why do you think manufacturers are making the shift towards this model go, going into the new year? Well, I think there's a, there's a meal check. You'll check, Rob. Either. Either. Go on, Jack. You go first. Sure. So uh, I think there's a couple of things. I think the first thing, Rob, you touched on it when you were doing your intro is that the you know a lot of manufacturing organizations are already transitioning to a D2C model. You know, I think you know, revenues generated from D2C sales has increased by um, about 26% and is due to you know, go up to, you know, upwards of, um, of that in 2024. So there are people kind of cotting on to this idea that selling direct to your consumers is a way to increase revenues, diversify the channels in which you sell through, and also become more profitable, I think is kind of the main thing. If you think about the sort of complex nature of selling through a distribution channel, um, through, um, you know, supply, through the supply chain, through wholesalers, installers, et cetera. In a lot of instances, we've seen it you know, specifically in the building material sector that um, uh, it kind of becomes a race to the bottom in a lot of those instances where wholesalers and distributors hold the power and therefore can negotiate and bargain with you on how much they actually buy your products for. Whereas if you're selling direct to the consumer on value of your product and you know what your product means to that consumer, you actually you know, are able to demand the prices that you deserve for that product that you're selling to them as well. So I think there's that. Um, you know, there's 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 many many other things as well. Um, you know, if we take um, the idea of um, people having alliances and having brand advocacy with the people they're actually buying from, I think in a lot of instances in the manufacturing sector. The consumer has ties with the wholesaler and the distributor and is open to kind of, um, uh, I guess, views of those organizations. And you know, in some instances, wholesalers and distributors are incentivized to sell alternative and competitive products as well. And for those reasons, you know, by selling direct to the consumer, you have the ability to influence and create that advocacy around your product directly to ensure that people keep coming back for more um, and aren't did you know, by alternative solutions, I guess. Yeah. Um, Ian, obviously, you had a bit to say on that. So, why, why do you think that manufacturers are making the shift towards DTC? I think the key, I, I take, come at it almost from a different, slightly different angle in the sense that I think the um, one of the key drivers is uh, is what the customer wants. Mm. 
I think that's one of the things, as, as Jack said quite rightly, there's 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 issues with the distributor, but it, it's what the customer wants. If you go back to the pandemic, the pandemic changed many things in many different sectors, but it changed an awful lot in in industrial and manufacturing because uh, in in that sector, uh, people just had an expectation of face to face sales, and in many cases that required a distributor because it just wasn't practical for businesses to, to 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 provide that to their customers any other way the pandemic changed that because that was literally impossible uh, and so what happened was people had to adapt to a different environment and uh the the oems the, the, the companies had to had to find a way of facilitating that and what's happened is as people have uh, had to do that they've then got used to it and um uh, McKinsey uh, came out with a, a report recently, and they, they showed that that um, six out of ten um, industrial buyers are at least as happy to buy remotely as they have been uh, as they are to buy to buy face to face. And they are starting the customer to realise that potentially, uh, potentially that that can be great because they can um, they can do things like reorder very easily. Um, the interesting thing, I think is that whilst the customer has that desire, um, McKinsey found that only 13%, I think uh, off the top of my head, uh, only 13% of industrial companies said that they had the digital technology stack in place to be able to facilitate that. So I think the, for me, the, the, the key thing is that there are a number of advantages for people that Jack's talked about, but the, the biggest pull is that's what the customer wants. Um, but there are some, there are a, a number of reasons why, why um, industrial companies find it um, challenging to to accommodate their model, which we will maybe talk about and how they can overcome. Yeah, and of course, and I think especially coming out from you know a marketing perspective as well, by having the customer come to you directly, you get so much more data on your customer and actually what the end user actually needs from your product, and that opens up opportunities for things like cross sales and upsells, and it's. A lot of what we've been talking about in some of the previous episodes and, and being able to measure the value in what you're doing as well, but being able to really generate that that, uh, the, that top line growth for your business. Um, I think it's important as well when we're talking about D2C, it's, you know, it's never been either so much, so many tools at your disposal now to be able to shift towards this D2C model. And obviously with industrial companies, they're, they're thinking about it. They want to move that model to try and increase revenue streams. Um how Jack? How can an industrial company considering a DTC models take action now going into the new year? Yeah, I think it, I think it's important to to kind of break out you know, the things that you need to do to transition to this model into kind of actionable steps because I think with anything that um, requires you to kind of transform it, transform the way in which you actually do business um, can feel quite overwhelming to some organisations. And I think you know what we've tried to do as an organisation is break that down into the kind of high level component parts you need to address. Um, I've been thinking about this quite a lot recently, actually, as, as well in preparation for this meeting. But I think it's important to kind of break things down into kind of what I'm calling the foundational elements of being able to transition mm-hmm. this model. Is having things in place that kind of maybe aren't the most glamorous of things, but you just need to do to make sure that this op- this will work. You've then got your short-term um, um, objectives and short-term plans, which will be mainly around generating demand for your products. You know, moving from a model where you've typically been able to rely on a lot of the wholesalers and distributors to kind of do the marketing and sales piece for you through the channel um, to then having to transition to a model where you're having to actually market directly to the consumer. There's some initial sort of pull and, uh, and demand that you need to create there. 
And then you've got the long-term thing as well. And I mentioned this idea um, before around creating brand advocacy and people that actually like to interact with your products, consume your products, and even talk about your products within, you know, their, their, their friend circles, within their, um, you know, with their colleagues and people they meet in the work environment, et cetera, and how we can facilitate that through our communications as well. So thinking about the kind of foundational elements, first of all, um, I think, first of all, and data is really important. Rob, you mentioned this, obviously, for um, you know, doing you know, nice things like cross-selling and upselling within your existing customers. But fundamentally, if you haven't been in a position before where you've been marketing or selling to the end consumer, you won't have any of that data. Mm-hmm. And that presents a bit of a challenge to you in the first instance. because like, well, how, how, am I, how do I go about this? How am I actually going to start marketing and selling to these people if I don't actually know who they are? So there's a few things you probably need to do. If you've got, you know, well-established relationships with wholesalers and distributors and so on, you could maybe look at um, um, data sharing options and so on, potentially. And there's obviously legal implications around that, but going to your uh, uh, to your channel and trying to understand, you know, who are the people that are buying from you, buying our products from you, interacting with you, who are the people that are coming in for support, um, uh, troubleshooting and, you know, um, asking for information on our products, et cetera. Who, who are they, first and foremost? And getting that data sorted out and consolidated within one centralized system so you can basically understand, first of all, who it is that is buying from you and has bought from you and what the drivers are for them buying from you and why they bought your products in the first instance. And using that data and information as a basis to understand exactly how you're going to go about marketing to these people and selling to these people. I think that's a a must-have is kind of doing your due deal and and, and understanding that before you do anything. Mm -hmm. I think secondly as well, you actually need to enable people to buy directly from you. And this is another foundational thing. You know, there are multiple ways in which you can do this. You know, it's talking about this idea of the day that we um, spoke to a, a business actually that sells and distributes. Oh, I think Jack's just dropped off there. Hold on. It's frozen in mid flow. There you go. A bit of technical issues. Oh, there you go. We can come back to that one in a second. Um, first time that's happened, I'll tell you what, we do it on a new day, new time, we do it in the morning and all this happened. Um, there you go, hold on, I think he's just joined back now there. Really sorry about that, Tem- temperamental internet. <laughs> I was just saying, it's a new day, new time. And all Another happens. foundational thing is get good internet. <laughs> yeah, 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 if you can. If you can. Um, but yeah, I don't know how much you heard about. I started talking about a crane company. Did you catch that? We caught the no. start. I think we caught the start of you saying that you were talking to a business about. And then you uh, okay. So yeah, <laughs> I was talking to a business um, that distributes cranes, and um, I was thinking about it from the perspective of the the OEM. Um, so these guys didn't actually manufacture the cranes; they just they were one of the distributors. Um, we talk a lot about e-commerce to enable D 2 C. But in the, in the instance of a crane manufacturer, you're not really going to get a business going onto a website and buying an entire, you know, multi-hundred thousand pound crane off the page, are you? You might do if it's a reorder, but uh, in most instances, you're probably not. Um, so there are obviously enabling your channels to actually sell direct to the consumer, whether that's, you know, establishing a sales team and a sales force, account management practices, et cetera, to actually deal with the end consumer. Um, but obviously, e-commerce is going to be a huge part of this as well for, for, for most um, manufacturing organizations. So creating an e-commerce website, you know, I hope you don't think I'm speaking out of turn by saying this, but traditionally, the manufacturing sector has been one that maybe hasn't got the skills in-house to kind of do, you know, on, on online marketing or at least, you know, building their own web store, et cetera. So it's thinking about who am I going to use to do that? What platform am I going to use and so on? Um, 
worth probably mentioning and dropping in at this point um, about potential platform choices and the fact that HubSpot is due to release a commerce hub in February, which we've got our finger on the pulse and we'll be updating people on that um, soon. Um, but platforms like um, you know Shopify, WooCommerce, Magento, etc., there are lots of different systems out there that can enable you to do that. And the third foundational thing, sorry, I'm waffling on a bit here, is integration with ERP, which is really, really important for manufacturers. You know, if you're using something like Sage 200 or NetSuite or you know, whatever it might be, SAP, which is responsible for your finance and potentially inventory and even manufacturing processes, you need to ensure that that's integrated with your core e-commerce platform to manage, you know, stock levels and, you know, availability and shipping and charges and obviously getting you know the money in the door in the first place as well and processing invoices and so on so they're kind of your foundational things um from a short term and long term then it comes about creating demand i think in the short term you know you might choose to invest in you know paid advertising um you might look at leveraging some of that data you've collected to do direct uh, messaging campaigns looking at quick wins you can establish through the means of social media and retargeting etc and on the long term front is planning around you know well what content could we be producing? Um, how are we going to enable our e-commerce website that we've got now to rank well in search engines and so on and all those kinds of things too, um, which I'm sure, Ian, you probably have an opinion and view on. Sorry, Jack, just say that again because I just slightly lost you for a second. No, I was going to say around um, the short-term and, and, and long-term kind of um, marketing strategy and planning to kind of create that demand around those foundational elements. You know, the fact that, you know, you're setting up your systems to market your website, etc., to, to, to actually house products and enable yourself to sell directly to the consumer. It's then all about creating demand for those products so people actually come to you and want to transact with you through a mixture of, you know, short-term paid campaigns and longer-term content and SEO strategy and so on. I, I, of course, and I agree with that, but I, I think there's also potentially for, for people, there's, there's, there's um, a, a different challenge as well because... Um, a lot of industrial businesses if you're if you have been focused um entirely or largely on 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 a distributor or channel then the marketing that you've done has probably tended to be person to person it's probably focused on a relatively small numbers of people um which means you don't have as it were the marketing infrastructure uh, to reach a much much larger audience which by definition is 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 kind of the reason for for, for taking this approach so um, many times uh, companies may find that they have they have a name they have products that products those products may have some resonance through through distributors but they may have they may have no brand um, uh, it requires you to to figure out mechanisms for for being found by people so it starts uh, requiring things like as you say paid uh, but also also using things like seo which may well not have been relevant before if you've had a website that's um that's essentially been a, an online brochure rather than uh, rather than something that, that that wants to attract potential buyers um so that requires a a different way of thinking um it the marketing also offers huge opportunities. There's, there's, there's the issue of trust. So uh, do people trust your brand? But one of the interesting things I think that's coming out of the research at the moment um, is that as well as wanting to buy online, one of the things that, that buyers got used to in the pandemic was researching potential new suppliers online. So that does require SEO, that does require interaction socially. But it also means that you can use content uh, to educate those buyers and help them to uh, to understand how your products are relevant to to their problems, so that that's an, uh, another opportunity. But it's also 
uh, another challenge. So there, there's, a, there's a plethora of different different skills which people need to acquire, and uh, as well as having an overall strategy to get found by large numbers of people. Yeah, and I think first of all, thanks, guys. I think it's, I think it's really useful. I think it, having that actionable bit to talk about how they can put those elements in place to shift this structure. I think, yeah, I think the only one that um, hasn't been mentioned there is things like social media as well. You know, actually, by shifting, you can start talking on social media. You can start sharing thought leadership and really connect with your bars on that level as well. So I think I think that's another thing to mention whilst looking at long term and short term strategies. Um, I've just seen a comment uh, be chucked in here. Um, and the reason I'm going to bring it up now is just because it, oh, I think it's literally the next part of the um, of the webinar. Um, we've just got a question here through saying, what are the most critical challenges manufacturers face when transitioning to a, towards a D2C model, um, particularly in terms of managing supply chain relationships, diversifying revenue streams, for example? I'm just going to pull that away now because it's quite a big question. Um, but that leads us quite, I mean, like I said, it leads us quite nicely into what our next part of this is, is, Looking at the pitfalls, so, I mean, Ian, we'll start with you on this one. Um, what pitfalls do industrial companies need to look out for when considering switching towards a D2C model from traditional ways of selling? I think one is that is that what I just mentioned, which is that uh, having a marketing um, a marketing team and a marketing system which is uh, which is designed to reach uh, a large audience rather than a very small and, and carefully de defined audience um, is, is a challenge. Um, uh, if you're going to continue to sell through distributors, um, which probably most people will be doing, um, at least in part. Uh, then, uh, then one of the challenges is how do you manage that relationship? And Jack touched upon that in terms of uh, you're going to have to manage your your data to, um, to to make sure you understand when somebody comes to your website or interacts or potentially even buys something. Um, what the relationship is between you and that person? Is it a distributor that's coming to you? Is it the customer of a distributor? Is it somebody who's a direct customer that's never bought off a distributor? There's lots of potential for 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 that that reputation potentially unraveling um if you if you if you begin on the journey as, as um, jack said as a foundational thing of you, you you get that e-commerce um site um online um you potentially create an expectation um which increasingly from people is the same as a consumer expectation so actually is the is the website easy to use? Does it have? Does it? Can I get the information I need? Do I? Um, if you if you've got a an e-commerce system, um, which is which is a, a a relatively simple one, it may not be able to deal with the subtleties and nuances of your product. You may you may have multiple different versions of a product, um, a whole bunch of different variables in that. Uh, different shipping issues depending upon where you are, territories, import, export, fragility, size, weight, and so on. Uh, there's an awful lot in there which uh, has got to work well. Otherwise, it's going to, one, potentially lose you money, and two, provide a bad uh, customer experience. And then when people get used to buying online from you directly, uh, they may be going to start having expectations of support. People get very stroppy if they, if they can't find anybody to talk to. Um, uh, if, if you were in a model where the distributor dealt with all of that, then you're going to have to put some of those things in place. And again, technology can help with things like online chat bots and so on, uh, which are, are, are relatively um, are underused in, in industrial space at the moment. So there's three, three clear things that come to mind to me. And continuing on the theme of uh, systems and so on, we'll just mention this, is that 
a lot of people talk about this idea of creating and establishing a single source of truth for all their data. So touching on what you just said there, Ian, about understanding who it is that's actually buying from you if you're sticking with a distributor model as well as a D2C model. But I think what a lot of organizations get into when they implement their systems, mainly you know CRM or, or ERP in most instances for manufacturers, is that they'll buy a product that maybe doesn't allow them to create what I call a, a data structure that mirror, mirrors the real world. Mm-hmm. If you th- think about the complexities of the manufacturing supply chain and kind of the interoperable nature of all the moving parties and components, so you've got the end consumer that needs to be aligned with an installer, potentially, an installer that then needs to be aligned with a wholesaler, the wholesaler that then needs to be aligned with you in providing those goods to them, is a lot of people have systems that don't allow them to easily see that sort of connected view of different customer types. Um, Obviously, there are a lot of systems that allow you to do that. I'm obviously entirely biased. I'm going to say HubSpot does allow you to do that, which it does um, through what's called custom objects. Um, But I think that's so important, you know, really, really important. You kind of look within the sphere of industrial as a whole and the fact that, you know, you might be manufacturing, you know, facades for example that go on the outside of you know big tower blocks etc and the fact that in that it's, it's the supply chain is even longer because you have people that are building contractors architects people that might stock and distribute your product the people that are actually managing the property the investment company that are behind the building of that property and you want to be able to manage that entire kind of sales ecosystem almost to see who all the kind of key key parties are that you need to influence and ensure a you know understanding the value of your product and that's really difficult if you haven't got the right data and the right systems in place hmm. i think as well um, moving away from systems which is kind of my, my comfort area <laughs> is uh, there are just distinct changes in the fact that if you're selling through a, you know a, a wholesaler or distributor you don't really have to have concern over the logistics and the distribution hmm. i think that presents a big challenge you know is is, is how are we actually going to distribute our products are we going to have to, you know, employ people and have our own sort of distribution arm inside the organization? Do we need to partner with another business that can actually distribute it for us? Do we just use, probably not, if, if the size of your equipment and so on is, is, is large, but, you know, Royal Mail, for example, and actually have to send somebody out to post things or whatever it might be, depending obviously, again, on the size and complexity of it. But that presents a challenge. There's a lot of considerations around that and considerations around, territories that you might be shipping products to as well the fact that you know you're sending something from manchester to i don't know italy or something as a random example but if you were then that's obviously going to cost you a lot more and uh, be a lot more complicated with import taxes and duty charges and so on than it would be to ship something up the road to preston let's say uh, as an example so i think there's a lot of consideration that needs to go into that um, there's an amount that you know systems allow you to do with having you know um, delivery estimation tools and you know building rules and automation that give you certain prices based on the location and the weight and the size of the order and all those sorts of things. But there's, there's almost a, a, a big sort of business decision that has to be made on how you're actually going to facilitate that. And I'd hazard a guess, you know, I don't know this for definite, but that's probably one of the biggest concerns for a lot of manufacturers because it it, it puts pressure on the organisation, you know, and and. You know, something you really, really need to consider. Hmm. Yeah, and I think just to sort of plug a case study as well, I think there's a couple of things to mention there, but I think just to plug a case study we got as well, you mentioned about custom objects and having like a custom pro- uh, project object. Um, I don't know if you guys, obviously I wasn't here when we did this project, so if, if there is more information, but we just we released a case study, I think about a month ago with a company called TVA Protective Technologies. 
Um, and we worked on a CRM implementation with them with HubSpot. And we, you know, did exactly what Jack's just said. We created a project which we're able to manage, um, manage all these different parts of, you know, parts of the supply chain, but also manage the, the progress of the project just in HubSpot. And I think for that, it's such a powerful tool and to be able to link all your systems um, within one HubSpot instance is such a, mm-hmm. is such a powerful way to be able to manage your projects much more effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, as uh, the other thing about HubSpot, I know Jack mentioned this earlier on um, about the release of HubSpot Commerce Hub, which obviously was announced at Inbound this year, I think it was. Um, it was announced at Inbound. It's live, I think, live in America now and it's uh, coming in February, isn't it, to the UK and um, to Europe. Um we always like to sort of work on a, we, you know, we recommend a system um, and a solution that fits your business best. So although we are a HubSpot solutions partner, you know, if we find that things like Shopify or, or WooCommerce or, or whatever the solution is, works better for your business, we'd always recommend that. So it's just finding the right, the best solution for your business and what you want to offer um, as part of D2C. Brilliant. I don't know, do you guys have anything else to add? Any more pitfalls, any more solutions for manufacturing companies? I suppose a couple of things that just come to mind is one is um, is is one of the things that I think will also concern people potentially about moving to this model is um, if you've got if you've got customers all around the UK, let alone all around the world, um, and you're trying to you're trying to sell to, direct to those people. One of the issues is is the cost of having salespeople on the ground, um, and, and I think what's what's sometimes um, underestimated. Um, in, in in the industrial space is is the desire and willingness of the customer to engage with people um, online uh, as part of the sales process rather than rather than than face to face. So things like uh, video presentations, video conferences, um, um, demonstrations, and so on, uh, walk around product walk arounds, all that kind of stuff, um, which customers are used to in their private lives. Use of video. Um, to, to 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 share with people personalised videos that that talks to people's specific needs and problems, that kind of stuff that people have got very used to in in B two C, um, and actually are, are very happy um, to to have in their work environment as well. I think is sometimes sometimes underestimated. Um, and I suppose one 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 last thing I I, I would maybe say is that um, sometimes this this stuff it, it, there's a lot of change. You know, people often talk about digital transformation and 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 uh, um, manufacturers are, are, are being very comfortable for a long time in uh, in applying technology to the production process and, and and less so to the to the customer. So it does seem daunting, but sometimes the wins can be can be really quite quick. And I'm I'm always reminded of a customer that we uh, we have who works in the uh, works in the crane parts uh, industry um, that that set up a website that was was designed to to, to attract the right people. Um, and uh, and did have a mean that all, all of the conversions and so on that we've we've talked about, um, and they got their biggest ever contract. It was it was literally um, it was it changed the, the the focus of their business that came through a website inquiry um, from somebody um, that was actually based um, out in working out in Saudi, a huge multinational out in Saudi, and um, found through their website. Um, and the uh, the customer was was willing to check out their products, willing to talk to them remotely, willing to do all of those things, and and that simply wouldn't have been possible uh, without without taking those first, as Jack says, foundational steps. Uh, quite apart from that, and that gave them the encouragement and enthusiasm to uh, 
to then go on and develop their their, their e-commerce platform, which uh, which which they've had up and running now for uh, for five or six years, and uh, again added whole new revenue streams and given them data and given them the ability to cross sell and given customers the ability to buy regularly. All those things which in the past were incredibly labour intensive. So um, it can be done. And sometimes the wins can be quite fast. Yeah, it feeds into the, the, the narrative I like personally, but digital transformation happens both in the front office and happens with your tech as well as on the factory floor. And I think that's a really, really, it's a really nice way to end actually. Another another nice clip towards the end of that. Um, brilliant. So thank you guys. I'm just looking across. can't see any more questions in the chat here. Um, thank you everyone that has attended today. Um, you can connect with myself, Ian and Jack on LinkedIn. Um, I think we're all sort of in the networking bit. So all you have to do is just click through, follow us, uh, connect with us. Um, and if you have any more questions, feel free to shoot it through to us as well. Um, for those listening on Spotify and other streaming platforms, make sure to follow the podcast to get regular podcast updates. Um, we do release a bi-weekly sort of newsletter, a digest, what we've spoken about. So make sure to sign up for that as well. You can do that on our website. Um, but no, thank you guys. Thank you guys for speaking as well. And thank you everyone for attending. Um, and we will see you guys soon. And make sure, obviously, make sure to follow us for updates on the next webinar episode. Thanks, Rob. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to the HubSpot RevUp podcast. If you want to join these episodes live, follow Axon Garside on LinkedIn and sign up for our next webinar. If you'd prefer an email digest of the content discussed in the podcast, then sign up for our HubSpot RevUp newsletter at www.axongarsard.com forward slash newsletter. And just say that again, that's www.axongarsard.com forward slash newsletter. You'll see that we also do a podcast for manufacturing marketers looking to level up their content called Make and Market. At the same page, you can sign up for similar updates and newsletters. Once again, thank you for listening and we hope to see you again soon.